episode 31 with Catherine Shy on the Nine Point Start With A Dream podcast. Welcome to Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This episode with Catherine Shy of Lucha Fit. Be honest, this is one of the first interviews I did when I first started and um, figured maybe the best one to go out with for 2018. The reason why, because Catherine kind of embodies what Nine Point is all about. And the reason why I kind of started this, just to innovate the culture, right? She she took her experience with wrestling and kind of made it to where she's giving back to the sport. But to give it back to where she's able to help these young girls and, and women that are in wrestling now kind of carve their own lane. Not make it so where wrestling is only about the boys. And not making it so where girls are wrestling the boys, but making it so where women are able to say we are in this sport we we have our own lane and we can do this and it's really awesome to kind of see her journey and kind of how it took maybe a little a little heartbreak and a little little hurt and pain make through you know life life situation to now kind of what she's doing now kind of building a platform that's really changing the game for for wet for wrestling not just for girls and but just overall the culture so hope you enjoy it here we go hey Catherine, how are you doing today I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Hope, hope the weather's great in, in Colorado right now. Not too, not too cold, not too hot. But it yeah. is. Yeah. You know, we're lucky we have 300 days of sun. So even if it's 40 degrees, which it was this morning, we have blue skies and full-on sun. So we're pretty lucky. Good place to be. Arizona and Colorado is where you want to be in life. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love Arizona. <laughs> For sure. So I want to get into your your background a little bit. So from the wrestling perspective, um, so when you were a younger athlete, what would your your biggest dream coming up that you want that you want to make reality? So um, when I was when I was really young, um, my dad went to the '56 and the '60 Olympic Games. So a lot of what I knew was Olympics, but at the time, um, I didn't always know what I wanted to do or what, you know, it wasn't just pre-planned that wrestling would be the way I'd go. Um, so I knew when I was younger, I told my mom, I want to go to the Olympics, but I haven't decided what sport yet. So at least I was given like that kind of freedom to think about what it could be. Um, but even, even when I thought about that, there were still a lot of other things that I was really into as a kid. Um, I was really into dance for a long time and I was totally convinced I was going to be a jazz player playing saxophone for a while. So there were a lot of different, a lot of different avenues I wanted to go down. Um, but clearly sports, sports kept winning out. And um, I just kind of kept coming back to, to that challenge um, that sport would give me and that wrestling gave me. And um, even though that, you know, idea of the Olympics was always kind of in the back of my mind, I think I became, remained really present with um, what I was focusing on. I wasn't, you know, wrestling in middle school, only thinking about trying to make an Olympic team. I was just thinking I'd like to win our league championships, you know? So I think I really focused on little things at the time because that's, that's kind of where I was. And that was, I guess, my thought pattern. Definitely. So, so, so you have this big goal of the Olympics. And so how did you, I guess, align yourself to make sure you kind of position yourself to accomplish, you know, that each goal to kind of lead up to that, that stage? I mean, first, definitely having um, a family that was very involved in sport, because even though my dad had gone to the Olympics, it didn't mean it was going to be the same route. And, you know, the women's 
uh, women's wrestling was first introduced in 2004. So there was a long period of time where, you know, I, I didn't know whether or not that would even be a reality. Right. And it wasn't something that would make or break whether I did the sport. Um, but I think my family pretty much, you know, they, they left it up to me and they encouraged me to just take each opportunity. So there were a few opportunities when I was younger where, you know, I hadn't made a team as kind of like a cadet age group or a junior age group. And, um, I didn't make, you know, the, the world team for that age group, but then, you know, somebody said, okay, I'm not going to go to the Pan American championships, which, um, they send usually the number twos. And then, so I got, I just kept getting opportunities to kind of, here's a trip going on. Do you think you want to do it or, or not? You know, and I just kept taking opportunities, um, and taking opportunities to travel internationally. And I think once you start getting involved in trips like that, that, you know, then the national um, coaches start paying attention and start seeing, okay, here's somebody who's traveling and wants to compete and wants to compete international. Cause you know, some, some kids will go that route or some kids will just say, I just kind of want to compete, um, on my school teams and that's fine as well. Um, but I think my parents just kept encouraging me to take the opportunities that were there. Um, and that just kind of led one thing to the other. Awesome. So as a female wrestler, how were the opportunities? Were there a lot or were there kind of like kind of had a kind of like kind of ding kind of search for them or how did that work for you? You know, there, there weren't a lot of opportunities, um, especially early on. Um, in California, that's where I grew up. Um, we were really fortunate that we had a lot of pushy coaches who worked on getting girls tournaments every weekend. So by the time that I was in high school, I was able to compete in a girls tournament every weekend. Um, and so, so in, in terms of, um, high school competition, yeah, I was pretty fortunate and had a lot of, a lot of opportunities and we we're still, we were still pushing, you know, it's kind of like every, every phase when I was in middle school, I middle elementary, middle school wrestling, I didn't do it a ton, but, um, it was very limited, very, very limited to compete against my own gender. Um, and because of that, that meant that the next, whatever the next level would have been limited to as well. But, I was fortunate that by the time I got to high school, more opportunities. But at the time when I was in high school, a lot of coaches, they were all pushing for the opportunities in college. So by the time I got to college, okay, finally, there'd been like a full group who had gone through and pushed to kind of create those opportunities. Um, so it's almost like every generation leads to the next and helps push the next thing. Um, but I grew up um, around women competing as my dad coached women starting in the 80s and so I, I kind of got to see the progression and because my family was very involved in the politics you know I, I saw where things were very limited and and still today which is why I'm involved in in the politics today because I've really understood the stages that we've gone through to kind of grow this sport. So so how did you like kind of I guess kind of overcome that adversity kind of to keep going to know that like people are on the left side are saying, you know, women should, should, should wrestle with the guys and X and vice versa. But how did you kind of maybe like, I guess, the position yourself kind of understand that, no, this isn't what, this isn't, this isn't how it should be. This is how it should be going forward. You know, how do you kind of position yourself for that? You know, some of it's definitely has to be personality. Um, I think I have the personality where I'm okay with doing something very different that people, yeah, a lot of, there's a, been a lot of parents, a lot of coaches, a lot of other, you know, 
wrestlers, male wrestlers who've been like, what, what are you doing? You know, but for some reason it has never bothered me ever. <laughs> so it's okay. gotta be personality for that, for that one side. Um, definitely family support. And then, you know, because we were so involved, we had kind of a, a wrestling community with these other women. And I kept meeting such awesome girls who wanted to do the sport too. And, and you realize like, oh, we're kind of the same kind of person. And I think because we had this close knit kind of group and you saw each other every weekend and, um, and, you know, it normalized it for us. Like, okay, we're not some, you know, we're not like the black sheep just doing something so random. We're, you know, we're, they were all in our element, you know, and it's, um, how it should be. Yeah, exactly. And I think that helped us, um, you know, helped us form like a little mini alliance. And I think it kind of gives you a little bit of power and a little bit of confidence that you're like, no, I have a group. I have like these awesome ladies who love to wrestle too. And, um, you know, we're all passionate about the same thing. Awesome. Get your little squad going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We kind of create our own tribe and, um, we empowered each other, I guess. So when you were wrestling in high school, about how many states um, were sanctioned for women on women wrestling? That's a great question. So um, the first state to, I'm going to have to hopefully, hopefully I'll remember this or maybe I'll have to pull up all my notes I have. <laughs> the first state to sanction, I believe, was Hawaii. Um, so right now we have six states sanctioned. Um, and it's Hawaii, Texas, Washington, California, Tennessee, and, oh no, I'm going to forget the last one. Um, <laughs> but at the time we only, I know, I know, at the time we only had about um, two other states, and, and I'm pretty sure Hawaii was one of them, and I think Texas was also before us, um, and Washington was right around California, but it took, for California, it took us a long time. We had, we had the numbers, and we were really pushing, but it just took a while for things to kind of adapt but that you know um it helped when we saw them at the national tournaments because those states were they kind of became powerhouses hawaii and texas you know once once they sanction the numbers just explode and the girls say great there's an opportunity and i want to take it you know i don't have to fight fight through the ranks and i don't have to like just fight for a position on a boys team i actually get to compete against my own gender and be successful and it's not you know it's not this extra thing involved in a sport you know where every other sport you know you join and and you're on a team with your gender and you get to compete and excel whereas you know these girls in these states with unsanctioned you know the sport unsanctioned they're just fighting through politics and that makes it very very difficult um to do something that you love when you're fighting through politics right like mm -hmm. i was kind of explaining how we had a tribe we just had this group of girls who you know we all got to come together and see each other on the weekends and wrestle tournaments. And when you don't have that kind of community and group, yeah, it makes it really hard to say, I'm going to stick with a sport because you're battling, you're battling people's expectations and, you know, what they think is right or what they think is okay. Definitely. So if you're trying to get recruited back, back then for a college, a college, you know, like call a team, how 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 would it possible to do that if you're going against um, men or um, like how, how did women go about doing that? 
Yeah, um, it really came down to the girls who were able to seek out the opportunities um, and go to some of the the competitions that would qualify you for like a team. So you, you had mm. to be willing to wrestle beyond your high school season um, to kind of be recognized um, because otherwise, yeah, you're just kind of lost on a boys team. Um, and now with social media, you know, there's a lot more available, but at the time, you know, we didn't have that. So, so you would have to kind of go to these tournaments um, and in high school, you wrestle folk style and on, you know, international style, we wrestle freestyle and the rules are different and techniques are different, but um, you have to be willing to do a different style. And a lot of girls are very resistant to that. But um, once you took that opportunity and you went trying to make, you know, an age group world team, then those coaches, that's where they are. Cause they're looking for the girls who are not only willing to wrestle because in college, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead in college, we wrestled freestyle. So we don't mm -hmm. wrestle the same style um, as high school. So you'd have to find the girls who are willing to put themselves out there and say, okay, I'm, I'm trying folk uh, freestyle on the off season. I'm wrestling more. And that's kind of who the college coaches wanted to recruit. Um, and they're all NAIA small schools so you had to kind of deal with um who what schools had the money to actually do scholarships um and that's why now we're really trying to push to get ncaa sanctioning um and that'll be huge to have that kind of scholarship pull for for these athletes so why is there a difference between high school and college when it comes to folk style and freestyle why is there a difference there so it started basically because there were only a few colleges that started women's programs and had kind of recruited enough girls that, you know, they had, you know, a full team of, you know, filling up all the weight classes. And what they would do is they didn't, you know, at that point you don't, you know, if you have a team of, of women, you're not going to say, okay, we're going to compete against this men's team. You just, you just don't do that. We just we recognize the differences and it's kind of counterproductive. So what they would do is they would go to the senior level open tournaments. Um, and so basically these college girls would be competing on the senior level circuit, um, making, trying to make a national team and potentially trying out for world and Olympic teams. So they pretty much competed along those same um, um, season and during that same time and and just because competition was limited and all those tournaments are typically international so you're getting competition you know from women all over the world and from Canada and that's that was the you know the bulk of the women who were competing out of high school so because it started with those tournaments um, it just continued to stay freestyle and fortunately for us it's made it's very easy to transition our college women to the senior level because it's the same style. We don't have to convince them, okay, now that you've wrestled folk style in potentially middle school, high school, college, now can you please wrestle freestyle and make our world teams and go represent us, represent Team USA? Like we, we don't have that, you know, we don't have that barrier now. So it's, I think it's really benefited us. I think we might have some pushback in the NCAAs because the men wrestle folk style. And people just are hardcore folk style um, groupies, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. But I think wrestling is wrestling. And it's really benefit, benefited the women to wrestle freestyle in college. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the history on how that started. Oh, didn't know that. So let us know that. Yeah.
so once so once you got to college, how was that journey like? Do you still have the goal that you want to make the Olympic team? So how did you kind of go about that process and knowing that you're here, but you want to be there in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, so because, you know, once again, college and senior level were still very closely interti- intertwined. And when I was um, in college, you know, now there's over, I want to say over 40 women's teams competing. So they almost exclusively compete just against each other. But when I was in college, competing at the senior level tournaments was still a pretty integral part of what we did. Um, it was pretty normal to compete at the international tournaments, to compete at senior nationals along, you know, and that would be after our college nationals. So we did have like a regular season where we ended with our college nationals, but it's, it was still pretty much the way to go um, to compete on the senior level. So because those, those things were so closely intertwined, um, I got to know the national team coaches. I would go to camps at the Olympic Training Center um, because really if, if you, if you want to get to that level of competing, you know, on, you know, competing well on the senior level and trying to, my goal was to make it um, to the Olympic Training Center and be a resident athlete and you have to be accepted to go into that. So, you know, it was still kind of the same mentality um, of accepting opportunities of, hey, there's a, there's a camp. And if you fly yourself out there, we will, you know, we'll pay for your room to stay there, you know, and still just like taking little bites out of, out of these opportunities. Um, and so, so it was kind of just playing, playing into that. And um, definitely when I got to college, that's when it was like, okay, this is reality. Making it to the Olympic Training Center is 100% the goal. And I think because I never, I never thought about having another option um, because we, you know, our options were limited. We don't, we don't have the opportunities where we can be graduate assistants. Now it's becoming, they're having a little more opportunity, but um, we didn't have as many like the men have where you, you know, you're really getting huge amounts of benefits from staying on as a coach and having them as your training partners. But um, so I knew that was the goal. And then, there was kind of no other option and I didn't need there to be another option. So it kind of just became whatever it took. Um, and what it took was just, yeah, going to every, going to every tournament possible for the senior level. So I had, even if there were college, um, you know, it's during your college season, I still had to go to those international open tournaments because I knew that's where I was going to be competing, you know, for the rest of my career. I have to make a presence there, have to go, you know, all of that. Definitely. So what year after, I'm guessing it was after college, did you make it to, to the Olympic Training Center? Well, it was 2010, I believe, right? Right, 2010. Okay. Um, and I'll go ahead. What was that like? So what was that experience like? Were you like, all right, I'm here. The job's not done yet, but. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the Olympic Training Center is, is an experience all on its own. You know, you're trying not to um, be, I guess, blinded by the light, right? Because it's so exciting to be there at the Olympic Training Center. This is where, you know, at least every Olympic athlete will go through the Olympic Training Center at least a few times within their life, whether it's processing or if it's injuries, you know, so everyone's been there, everyone goes, you know. Um, but oh yeah, it was, it was definitely the, the work is just beginning. Um, 
I think about 2010, it feels like so long ago and like a different person ago because I've, <laughs> I've just learned so much since then and so much about myself and my training. And I actually, I actually sustained a pretty bad injury the spring before I went out there um, and kind of kept trying to wrestle on it. So I and entered and ended up having surgery pretty soon after. So my experience at the training center began with rehab. Um, and what was your injury? So I had um, a UCL tear. Uh, and so Tommy John surgery. Oh, wow. And um, it was one that I was trying to still wrestle on. It just was not working out. So we went ahead and went, went the surgery route. Um, and it, and it was a good opportunity for me because, um, the Olympic weights were not the rest the weight that I was wrestling was not an Olympic weight. So I needed to gain quite a bit to, um, be like a viable competitor at that weight class that was higher. Um, so, cause it was four kilos more, a little around 10 pounds. And that's, that's a big deal when you have women who are cutting down to make the weight class was 55 kilos. And, um, I had never weighed 55 kilos before, so, <laughs> so it makes a big difference. So I need to at least be 55 kilos or more to, you know, to kind of uh, make an impact there. So my, you know, first two years leading up to the London trials pretty much was rehab, get big, and then learn how to be as effective as possible at a whole new weight class. Um, so, you know, you're just kind of like thrown into this storm of you know, a, a lot, you know, there's a lot of, it's hard not to compare yourself to others and not only just athletes within your sport, but athletes in other sports, because now here you are, you used to be kind of like that, you know, big fish in a little pond. And now everyone, that's everyone. Um, and everyone's awesome and everyone works hard. So what can you do to set yourself apart? And that's taken years to figure out what I need to do to not, you know, to not make yourself crazy working yourself to the bone. So up, up to this point, will, you, will, that, will that like your biggest moment of like adversity, the whole recovery from that injury, or would you say something else was like your biggest moment of adversity? You know, um, a combination of, of a little bit of everything. Uh, I, think, I think sometimes things come at you in waves, you know, you, right when you mm -hmm. think you come over a wave, and you think the sea is calm, all of a sudden another one comes. And um, I think each time you just like, you learn a little bit more about yourself and you learn what, what you need to do to, and, and who you need around you for support. Um, you know, I would say, yeah, injuries are one thing and I've, I've since had two more surgeries, but um, I think the hardest thing was losing my dad in 2012. Um, and it was um, right before the the trials for 2012. Um, he was pretty sick and in the hospital. Um, he had congestive heart failure, and so you know, we I I went out. It was probably only four weeks before the Olympic trials. Um, kind of going out, anticipating my sister. My sister and I. She she also wrestled at the Olympic Training Center. Was there at the time, so amazing to have that kind of support and someone who'd been through a lot, a lot of surgeries, a lot of everything. So, you know, I got to be with her for so much of my career. Um, 
but you know, at that, at that time it kind of didn't matter and I didn't need to work out. It didn't matter. I was just there with him and he ended up being okay at that time. Um, and, but he couldn't come out to the Olympic trials. Um, so, you know, you're, you're dealing with, um, your own expectations, um, expectations, you know, to make an Olympic team of what everyone else thinks. Um, and then sometimes life happens and it kind of doesn't matter for, for a time being. And, um, you know, it kind of gave me that power to, to say, it doesn't matter what I do if I win or lose, because like that time I got to spend with family was, was so important. Um, and, and then June, um, trials, I think were in April and then in June, uh, my dad passed. And I think building off of that was really hard because all of a sudden it became like, why, why am I living in Colorado away from my family, um, away from my husband who was the boyfriend at the time. I think he had, I think he had just moved out, but now he's living away from his family and making that sacrifice to be with me. And it was a really hard few years um, after 2012, um, not making the Olympic team um, and, you know, putting all that work into changing weight classes, the weight classes change again. And then it just kind of started feeling like, why, like, why am I doing this? Like, is it really all that important? Do I want to, you know, do I want to be here? So I think that was the biggest, that was the, the biggest thing to fight through. And um, I thought for, for the time being that when I was going to be done with wrestling, that I would would want to have nothing to do with it that you know that kind of you know it's such a love-hate relationship with sport (laughs) i'm sure you i think you know that very Uh, well right definitely definitely yeah Yeah. and so um so sometimes you have to like find a different love and i think if i had just given up at that point i definitely would have walked away from wrestling and been upset and torn up about it and felt like it doesn't give me anything back and it's just take 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 um but, you know, I started finding people and coaches who helped me see the sport in a whole new light. And it helped me see the reasons that my dad loved the sport. Like that man loved the sport of wrestling so much. I didn't always understand why. And now I'm starting to get it. I can't say that I get it yet because, you know, he had a lifetime with wrestling and I have not. So, <laughs> but I, yeah. I'm, I get it now. And that's why I'm still so involved and why I'm still passionate. Awesome. I'm sorry to hear that in this about your dad, but I think it's amazing how like, like more like what you're doing now, but I think how your passion is kind of like, in a way it's like, he's kind of giving you that passion that he's having kind of, kind of flowing through you now and kind of what you're doing now with Lucha Fit and wrestle like, wrestle like a girl, kind of like, you're kind of leaving the legacy, you're kind of, kind of continuing the legacy of, that he kind of created for you in a way. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No, it's cool. So you kind of have, you kind of hit this, I guess you will say like um, the bridge in your, in your life with the whole wrestling kind of like, don't want to still do, don't not want to do this anymore. So what, what would your, your next step once you kind of realize, I still, I still love this sport. I want to do more for the, for the, for the game. Like, how did you kind of take that next step towards that? I think um, part of it's, I'm a, definitely a busybody, and I was like, I need to do something, even if I can't decide whether I'm I'm still competing. This was kind of like last year, fall, so about a year ago. Um, still deciding what I wanted to do. 
my husband and I, new family was on the horizon. Um, so basically just started blogging off of our, our website that my sister and I had created um, called Fulp Allen Wrestling, which is our maiden names. Um, and so I knew I had to do something. And when you've had the experiences of, of traveling the world and then you know, you, you get such a small opportunity when you go do a clinic or do a camp for these kids and you see just the impact that you have at those few moments when they ask for your advice, when they, when you show them technique and they're just like, wow, you know, they kind of are like, wow, I wish I could have you around all the time. And you're like, I know, like, I would love to work with you all the time or give you more, but I don't know, you want my email? You know, it's just, yeah, it's so hard to try and like, further connection because you just have a short time with people and you know it's it's not easy to just email somebody a bunch of questions so so I knew that I had something to give and I um and I felt like I had a a way that I could explain to people um about my experiences so um full balance wrestling turned into lucha fit and lucha means to to struggle to fight and to wrestle and it's um you know in the wrestling world, we hear it very often when the coaches in the corner telling their athletes, lucha, lucha, lucha. So I was like, okay, you know, something we hear all the time. Um, so I wanted to connect that wrestler mentality with also just like being light, just life fitness. Cause I, I believe that once you um, are an athlete, you kind of incorporate that into your life. So, so lucha fit is advice for athletes in general as well. Um, I definitely focus on, wrestlers and female wrestlers because we just don't have a lot of resources and there's hardly anything out there when you start searching okay I'm a beginner female wrestler what do I do what do I wear what should I bring all this stuff so um so that's kind of where Lucha Fit was born and um it's been pretty exciting to to get a lot of awesome feedback from excited parents and athletes so because I'm, I'm kind of new to the, the wrestling and the female wrestling in general. So I guess like where, like before, before Lucha Fit came along, like was there any other resources to help female athletes like wrestlers and kind of understand the sport any, any better? Definitely not. Um, you know, anything that you search, it's either going to be, you know, WWE. Yeah. <laughs> <Helpful>. <laughs> For sure. Um, or it's like an article about how, oh, just so you know, there's there's girls and women who wrestle now. And you're like, okay, that's great. Like, I do. So can you give me some more information? You know, and it's usually written by a male talking about how, you know, it's not just for boys anymore. That's like the total stereotypical <laughs> statement, yeah. right? So, um, no, the, the clean answer to that is no, nothing. So, <laughs> so. So, so going forward, I guess, like, what, what is your, your big mission with Lucha Fit? Where do you want to see this in a few years or in, the, or in a month or two? Like, like what, what's your big picture for this? Um, you know, I hope that it's something that um, I can kind of continue to give back, like, on the next level. Like, kind of like this first level is giving back to those, those beginner athletes and those athletes looking for advice from an elite athlete. And, I'm almost thinking, I'm hoping the next phase is that Lucha Fit can be something where um, female wrestlers can have a place where they can come back and they can write and they can, and Lucha Fit could pay them to do that. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping for the, the next stage. 
Um, and also, you know, then it doesn't just become me writing everything. Now we have a lot of different opinions from a lot of different women. And it's something that's like, potentially, I don't know if it's a full on career for women, but it's a way um, that they can make an in impact and that they could actually get paid for. Um, so that's kind of the next, the next mission. Um, you know, and it, and it could kind of evolve in a lot of different ways. And I'm probably going to have to let, you know, fate decide some of that because I think there's a lot of, there's so many different ways that we can impact sport in general. I mean, with what you're doing um, and just a lot of the people that you and I have been connecting with who are finding kind of unique ways to connect with people in sport. So um, some of it, I kind of have to let thing, the paths, you know, yeah, like, yes. you know, connections and figure out okay. what, what the best way, what people want. That's a big part of what people want, yeah. what people need. So definitely. So if, if we have a, 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 a girl listening right now who wants to get, get involved with wrestling, what would you say would be her first step to really maybe understand the sport a little bit or just or, or like where's the first place to start? You know, I would say the first place to start would be at LuchaFit. There we go. <laughs> and so that you can kind of, you know, start seeing what are the types of things that, you know, we actually talk about in reference to the sport. Um, and I have a lot of basic things about what, how to pack your bag for a competition and the food to bring. So there's a lot of basic stuff like that. Um, but, you know, if you a lot of people end up kind of finding the outlier, the one girl who's wrestling the boys, the girl who's being on the boys. And, you know, that's, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily a standard that all of our beginner female wrestlers entering the sport should have, that they need to go out there and throw a boy and pin them. Like, I, I just don't think that that's really realistic. That's not who I was for sure. Like I was not the girl just like beating up all the boys. Um, you know, I kind of like, won and lost and even against yeah. the women you know so um so I don't think that that's like the end-all be-all um I think if a female wrestler really wants to understand and see what women's wrestling looks like you have to watch our senior level women so you have to look at USA wrestling and and videos of women who are competing against their own gender and um doing really amazing big things so you know following our national team members and our olympic members and um you know we have a, an awesome little social media group but um i don't think that all these girls really realize that we're out there and we're you know so willing to honestly give them anything like wrestling such a tight-knit community that anytime a girl messages me i personally message them back all this advice and you know whatever they're asking me and every all the women will do that. All the national team world and Olympic team members will do that. And so I think it's um, something to recognize that when you join the sport, it's a little community and everyone's kind of there for each other. Definitely. That's great. So I remember you talked about earlier is how there's, there's, right now there's like a lot of politics going on in the sport mm -hmm. and like not every state is sanctioned to have women or women wrestling. So for that for that girl that's out there to have to wrestle the guys, will you will, will be your advice for her, or just or something that they can kind of help do to kind of help get get the, get the push going for women on women's wrestling in other states as well. Yeah. Um, well, first off, it's it's a tough situation for sure. Um, a lot of a lot of us, you know, we've all had to wrestle the boys, and it's it's not easy. And um, you know, it's a little bit of a double edged sword. If you if you win, it's like you know, oh 
you know, you're praised and it's amazing. And then, you know, if you lose, it doesn't really matter. But then if you go and lose to a girl, you go to a national competition where these girls are tough. Like these girls are also wrestling boys. You know, everyone says, well, the boys make you tougher. Well, okay, then all these girls are wrestling the boys and they're coming to the national competition. A lot of girls, I've heard this example so many times, you know, they're beating up the boys in their league and in their, you know, with their, within their team and um, they go and they lose to girls and everyone is like, I can't believe you lost to a girl. And that's really, that's so terrible. It's terrible that we, the standard of, you know, a tough competitor is only a boy, you know, that you can't find another female nationally, you know, that you would actually, you could lose to. So, um, so first, I mean, you're going to have to be tougher than those critics. And I think we've all had critics and, you know, I've certainly had people who said, there's no way you can compete at, you know, try and make an Olympic team and then have only competed against girls in high school. They were like, you can't do it. It won't work. You won't be tough enough. You know, we've all had those kind of negative voices around us, but, um, I think pushing and trying to have girls join your team, that's going to be big because states are looking at the numbers. They want to see that girls want to join the sport. You know, it's, it's kind of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. So unfortunately we need a lot of numbers and a lot of girls who are willing to compete against the boys before they say, okay, like we'll give you this, you know, we'll make it your own sport against your own gender. Um, but otherwise you have to, you have to be willing to step out and, and be brave and go compete against girls nationally and be okay with losing if that's what happens, um, because that's going to help increase your opportunities. For sure. Awesome. So is there any, like any that may maybe, I don't know, site to go to that kind of help give insight on whether, you know, on how to, I guess, um, get it sanctioned or just like more of just, you just kind of add the numbers up and just go from there. So, um, you know, for people looking for information, there's quite a few different, different spots. So first wrestle like a girl, which I'm a board member of, um, we are helping push the efforts, um, and working with organizations and states to see what do they need, um, to get the sports sanctioned within their state. Um, and then, so that's wrestlikeagirl.org. And then, um, you have USA wrestling and they have a resource page. Um, I believe it's in the women's wrestling section that they have the resource page. And um, it's pretty much if states are looking for information about how those other six states have sanctioned the sport, that's where you look for. And then um, the other thing that you can do is, is Facebook is, has almost every single state um, with a page that's, you know, Illinois women's wrestling and Alabama women's wrestling and Kansas, um, almost every single state has a page and those coaches and parents and everyone's kind of talking about how to get involved. Um, so that's, that would be your, your next best bet. Awesome. So we're going to end kind of wrap we're wrapping up a little bit. So if someone listening right now, what will be your biggest advice on just on how to, I guess, overcome the, any adversity that you may face, you know, when it comes to being a female in sports or just being in sports in general, what advice you kind of say to kind of the, keep fighting or just kind of overcome it kind of keep your end goal in mind like you did I think if it's something that you really want to do um and and you're excited and passionate about the sport you have to just know and recognize that there's going to be naysayers and 
it, it doesn't have anything to do with you. And um, if it's something that you really want to do, you have to just keep pushing forward. And there's, there's going to be extremely tough times. Um, but I think almost everyone who, you know, around our age, who's, who's competed in sport for years and years and years, we can all say that it's always worth it. And I think that's the biggest lesson that we've all learned from sport is that pushing through those terrible hard times, the injuries, the hardship, you know, family stuff, it ends up being worth it because you've built this community of people who are standing by you. And then hopefully you, you, you know, kind of become an expert in your field and you can give back, you know, cause at that point it's kind of your, you know, I don't want to say obligation, but you know, it really is a disservice if, if you're not in the position to want to give back. Um, because you become an expert in your field and, and there's younger people out there who want to look up to you. You know, people are just begging to have somebody to look up to and that could be you. And that could have been, that could be you if, if, you know, if you keep pushing through and um, stick it out. Oh, that's so true. Cause I think a lot of athletes, they don't realize that the platform they have, they can really make a difference in maybe just one kid's life or just two or three and, and kind of, and kind of add and just trickle down over years, over years, you know, they kind of learn and just, I think it's great that you say that, like, just use your platform to really, you know, to make a difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So where can people find, find more about, about you, Catherine, and LutraFit and what you're up to? Yes. Yeah. Media? Yeah, social media, all over social media. So um, Facebook is LuchaFit. Um, my personal one, uh, my Facebook page is Fulp Allen Wrestling, and I post a lot there kind of about my – it's more my personal my personal stuff, um, and along with Twitter and Facebook – or Twitter and Instagram is the same thing. And then LuchaFit, on Instagram, it's Lucha.fit. Twitter, it's just LuchaFit. Um, and then my website, LuchaFit.com, and um, you'll kind of find everything – everything on there hopefully hopefully i've connected it all well enough that you can find <laughs> find everything um, so. and i'll i'll leave some links too in the bottom of this so it kind of makes it a little bit easier too so we can make yeah. sure people kind of learn more, learn more about what you're doing and what you're up to yeah for sure sure well thanks for having you on you know i think we kind of learned a lot just about your journey and how to kind of approach you know life and just what your passions are so i want to thank you for coming on and we'll talk to you soon yeah thanks so much for having me Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one opportunity away. Peace.